That was Take Me Out by Franz Ferdinand. You're listening to 97.5 WOBN, The Wild Guard, right here at Otterbein in Westerville, Ohio. You're now listening to Retrospection Radio with your host, Noah. And Nate. Retrospection Radio, specifically Retrospection Radio Theater, is an anthology horror podcast uh, that has an episode that comes out at the end of every month. Season one is anthological, random horror stories here and there. The second one follows, the second season follows superheroes and more horrific and politically charged superhero origin stories and supervillains and morality grayness season three which we're just wrapping up now is we're on a break right now between season three and season four season three is another anthological one with a little bit more classic styled names one of them is it came from down the stairs so season four is just beginning auditions as of today and i've got about 10 auditions for it already which is awesome season four follows royal mcneil who is a investigative journalist turned podcaster who has basically discovered that there is a serial killer in the hometown of madison maine which he is from the first victim is bella fields which is what the first episode is about and then it goes on to discuss and follow monsters and the serial killer as you, the audience, get to piece the puzzle together along with Royal McNeil. That's our season four little blurb. Now today, our talk show tends to talk a lot about horror and movie gimmicks, techniques, I should say. Today we're going to be talking about the fear of the unknown, which is such a huge part of suspense and horror and today we're going to be talking about one film that is in the horror genre then we're going to be talking about a film in the horror genre that does it kind of okay not very well and then we're going to be talking about suspense in sorry the fear of the unknown in a movie that is not part of the horror genre but still uses horror elements so first off I want to talk about the fear of the unknown and why it's scary. Nate, do you have any thoughts on this? What What do you think the fear of the unknown is? Uh, just kind of taps into the just kind of human nature and just the the instinct of just being afraid of things you're just not sure of or just don't know about, like death or danger that you just are not familiar with. It's something that kind of it just taps into a very primal instinct of uh of human nature and whatnot. So when it comes to horror, what makes the fear of the unknown so good? What can make you tense up? And you can use movies or scenes to describe this. What about the fear of the unknown that is done well in movies? Is it the not knowing what the monster looks like, not knowing what the monster does, or not knowing what the story is, or what aspect of the fear of the unknown tends to get you? It's uh, it's kind of just what you don't see that is kind of scarier than what you do see because your mind completes the image, like, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something. Like, there's a lot of violent things that happen. You don't see a lot of blood when it happens, but you know that it's taking place because 
you just get the idea like there's because a, the title of the film chainsaw massacre <laughs> that and just kind of like they probably just didn't have a budget for very gore like crazy high budget you know gory special effects and whatnot so there's like a like a scene where someone's getting cut in half with a chainsaw you know they're getting cut in half because you see a chainsaw being operated by a a a madman and you don't see him get cut in half but you imagine it and like there's some people that like they watch the movie and they swear that they actually see the blood and stuff but then you go back and watch it and you don't see any of it you just see him wave the chainsaw around and kind of direct it across and also like another scene in the same movie where a girl gets put on a meat hook you don't see the meat hook go through her neck but your mind is telling you that it is and her reaction and like the fact that she's screaming in pain and whatnot you know it's happening but it's not really happening you don't see it but your mind swears that it is it's just kind of like trickery it's just or even you know like a masked killer in a movie like jason or michael myers you don't know what their face looks like for the most part and you just kind of are not sure and it makes it even more scary that you don't know who this person is or what their motivations are for killing these people and doing all these horrible things and it's just like it adds to it whereas in other movies, you know, like Norman Bates, like he's just kind of a regular guy. You see his face, so he's, I mean, he's still a creepy dude, but it's not as scary as like Jason Voorhees or whatever. But I think what also adds to the serial killer aspect, what makes that scary, is not knowing why they do it. Yeah, you don't know what their motivations are. Exactly. So the whole... The whole fact that you could go an entire movie and not understand why they went out to kill people. Like Halloween was one of those movies that I had no idea why Michael Myers was going out and killing anybody. Maybe it was said in the uh, script somewhere, but pretty much he killed his sister and he liked doing it. (laughs) And did it again and again and again. That's the best part about it. You just don't know why he does what he does. Like literally just in the first scene, you just see him kill his sister and like you're, it doesn't explain it to you why. And you know, you know what he looks like when he's a kid because they pull the little clown mask off of him and he's got the bloody knife in his hand. But after that, you don't really see his face. There is one point where, oh, sorry, Laurie Strode like pulls his mask off, but you don't really see it very well. It's in like the shadows, but you just don't know what he's doing or why he's doing it or why he even chose her to target and you're just kind of left wondering like why is he doing this and you just your imagination just runs wild with ideas now some of the later movies explain that but especially in the first one it's very very self-evident that it's just a killer like and i think that's what makes him scarier than some of the other serial killers out there is there is no motivation. It's just, okay, guess I'll kill you now. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, the scariest part. It's just, like, usually with other things. Like, oh, you know why he's killing people. It's, like, like Jason Voorhees kind of has motivations, like, because he was bullied at, at the summer camp, and, like, the uh, the counselors didn't help him when he was drowning, so he wants to, he doesn't really like teenagers and whatnot and blah, 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 and you kind of know why he does it, and it's, like, his mom and stuff. But, like, the other people, especially, like, the Sawyer family and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you don't know why they're doing this stuff or 
how they started like you know that like their family worked in like slaughterhouses and stuff that's about all they say but you don't know why they're they just see these people come up to their house and they just it's like I'm, we're gonna kill these people we're gonna like just do this messed up <laughs> stuff <laughs> just like it's even more it's kind of even scarier with that one because it's in the middle of nowhere and there's no one really there to help you but makes me think of what the strangers i think it was called with or the visitors or something with Liv tyler where it's like her and her husband are in a house by themselves and then there's just this family of what three four people who just show up and start teasing them before they kill them yeah i think i know i haven't seen that movie but i know my dad used to watch it was one of those horror movies he used to watch yeah it's a good fear of the unknown one where why why are they playing with them who are these people why would they want to do this and why would they want to do it to live tyler she's beautiful i know <laughs> or even jamie lee curtis it's like the, it's kind of the scariest form of like the killers because they they come to you instead of like oh these people are on a road trip and they get caught it's like no it's like michael myers <laughs> they michael myers sought me out <laughs> yeah michael myers comes to you you know the strangers they came to them and it's like that's even scarier because you don't see it you don't anticipate it yeah i think i'm safe though i'm not a not a pretty girl so yeah that's true I'm not, <laughs> i think i'll live a horror film yeah i don't i don't know unless unless i go on a road trip in like the uh you know the desert with some friends you know just for some reason just you, know, you pick up and just go to nevada for whatever reason eh, let's have some fun <laughs> just stay away from creepy farmhouses oh stay off of what route 66 fastest growing highway and then now the uh most desolate and creepy highway of all time really route 66 it's like empty that's crazy i thought there were still people you know going off on there people do here and there it's still used it's just that you know the highways are better than route 66 (laughs) and a lot of the time 66 runs parallel a lot of the things that are on route 66 are just abandoned yeah, all the uh, tourist traps and stuff. Yep. It's that's, really creepy. That's kind of an interesting image. I like that. Oh, yeah. I would love to do a car ride on Route 66. The only issue is there's one part where it's like a day of just nothing. You just drive in the desert. <laughs> I don't know. That wouldn't be bad. And get some friends with you. You can go on a little car ride. It'd be nice. Yeah, you know, sometimes we need just nothing. Just need a little dose of just absolutely nothing. Admittedly, I think I'd I would enjoy that to just pick up with friends and see some of the crazy, creepy old stuff, and then for a day or two, just literally nothing, no stresses in the world, no worries. You're just on the road, gone. It's, it's very meditative. It's very so meditative it's, until it's you have just, a flat tire. Yeah, you don't. And then want you're that. like, well, you know, AAA doesn't come out here, so what do I do? Hmm. I don't know. Just hope you got a spare, I guess. <laughs> just hope you can roll in, just roll into the next town on the flat. <laughs> <laughs> That's Ugh. terrible. Don't That'd be a do long that. day. That is true. So the first thing that we're going to talk about tonight is The Mist, Stephen King's The Mist. It's actually not Stephen King. Well, it's Stephen King who wrote it, uh, wrote the original book. It is written and directed by... Was it The Mist or The Fog? No, The Fog is a John Carpenter movie, isn't it? Yeah, that's a John Carpenter movie. Oh, I got same, same idea, basically. The Mist, The Fog, same thing. So The Mist is a 2007 horror film starring pretty much everyone out of Brooklyn Nine-Nine and The Walking Dead. Uh, 
you've got people such as Thomas Jane, Marsha, let me see, Marsha Gay Harden and Lori Holden, uh, which Thomas Jane, I don't remember what he's from. I think he's been in a few things. Let's search it up. Oh, Google. He has been in Deep Blue Sea, The Mist. Uh, not heard of most of these. Robot Chicken as the Punisher. He's been in The Predator, the uh, 2018 one. Hot Summer, Before I Wake, Standoff, Texas Rising. Just a few things here and there. It was directed by... I say that and my internet gives out. It was directed by... Nope, okay. Now it wants me to download the app. It was directed by me. Frank. Well, I see. Frank Darabont. There we go. Directed by Frank Darabont. Um, basically what happens here is a small, I believe it's Maine, it's always Maine, town is hit by a freak storm which causes a bunch of fog to go out everywhere. And for some reason, all the characters, all the main characters, supporting characters, all them, are in a grocery store when the fog hits. And they don't leave, they kind of stay in the grocery store because they think there's something out in the fog. And there's a faction of people who think that there's nothing in the fog and that it's just a really weird storm and you can walk through it. And then there's a faction of people who are like, yeah, well, pretty sure it happens that there's something in the fog. So you go uh, maybe a little over half the movie without seeing what is in the fog. And the beginning is basically this dad goes to the supermarket to pick up stuff for his like wife and kids or maybe it was just kids uh, and then the fog rolls in and he's stuck in the supermarket with everyone and he goes to the back in the back he's able to kind of know that there's creatures there they're like slamming against the back of the port for the truckers and from there he kind of tells everyone you can't leave and there's one super Christian lady who's like it's the end times and then there's yeah she's saying like there's it's, and... a, it's the devil out there in the fog <laughs> uh, and then basically what happens is there's creatures in the fog and they see you in the fog and that's how they get to you so it is a I liked it when I watched it but it's just kind of one of the mediocre horror films it's it's okay. It doesn't it doesn't have too much to it. They changed the ending uh, from the ending that they had in the book, and it's literally the complete opposite of the ending that they have in the book. So it just kind of makes the movie feel a little bit more eh, because the ending in the book suits the story. Yeah. But the ending in the movie, it's kind of like uh, if you ever watched Little Shop of Horrors from the '80s, the musical version, and the ending of Little Shop of Horrors, the actual musical, is everyone gets eaten and dies, the plants attack the world. There was an alternate ending for the movie that they shot, and it's like, it's really cool. There's like all these, like, you see like these giant, you know, plants going through the city and like destroying the city, whereas in, 
in the actual movie it's just like there's literally they have a house with a white picket fence and everything's like yeah they got everything they ever wanted it's like oh come on well that's the whole point of the story is a lot about really people and greed and overreaching and basically I want all these things and I'm going to get all these things this perfect life but perfect lives don't happen and you know plants attack they eat the main characters and then they start to spread over the world and kill lots of people and the movie had that ending made and you can watch the alternate ending right now on YouTube but audiences weren't receptive to that because they had their protagonists that they had been rooting for all movie you know you'd seen the female lead be beaten by her boyfriend and just all these things happen to the characters they're constantly put down and when life started to look good they die and the audience was like what's the point of this change the ending so directors like ah i changed the ending to where they get their happy ending when we defeat you know the plant which when you do that well you kind of miss a point of the story it changes things people don't get their happy endings the mist does something similar with the ending where something happens main characters have to escape the uh supermarket things happen and in the book it happens a certain way and you can tell that they filmed it to be the perfect ending of the book and then they kept going and you're like wait a minute it felt like it should have stopped right there but now we have five or ten minutes left of screen time and something else happens that just feels like eh so the mist like i said just kind of a slightly above average horror film but there's one thing it does really well and that's suspense as i said earlier it took about half the movie for the creatures that are in the mist to actually show up and we hear them and we start to get paranoid about them we don't understand why they're here we don't know what they look like what they can do but we do know they're there at least we as an audience do however there are characters who are skeptical and these characters say okay open up the door and let us go out and we're gonna go home because you guys are freaking out over nothing and the main character's like uh you know i don't think this is a good idea you do you here's a rope tie it around yourself and if you can get 300 feet away we'll believe you so the party leaves and starts to go out into the mist and what's really cool here is it's cutting between the party that's left their shadows getting darker and darker in the mist and everyone else's reactions of like uh what's gonna happen are they okay are they getting attacked am i gonna see something and then it starts cutting to the rope and reaction to the characters and the rope is getting further and further away it's sliding through people's hands because the main characters are holding on to it and then it just kind of stops it goes slightly limp and then it starts to keep moving forward a little bit and at this point it cuts to a shot of the rope and you see that it's gone up to the top of the door frame and then it comes back down and then the rope starts to be pulled out of everyone's hands and you've got like four or five people now getting massive rope burn from holding on to this rope yeah it's like going really fast you can hear it like scrape against the door like 
just <laughs> you hear it rubbing really fast against the door and stuff. Exactly. And as it's doing that, the characters are trying to yank it back to figure out what's happening and to bring the person back. Hopefully he's alive. And eventually the rope stops being pulled and the characters are able to start pulling it back. And as they pull it back, the main character places his hand onto a little bit of blood that's on the rope. And you hear like an odd, an audible gasp and like, <gasps> ew, from the people within the supermarket. Yeah, like the last like bit of the rope is just covered in blood. And as they pull it, it cuts to a shot. And you can see the guy who had the rope tied to him. You can see his legs and the rope tied to like the bottom half of his torso. And it's just jeans, boots, and blood. And they pull it over and not into the supermarket, but pretty much up to it, see it and go, ah, crap. <laughs> there's something out there. And all those other people, there was like, I think there are like 10 other people that walked out with that person that weren't tied up. So they are also dead. Yes. So the reason that's a good fear of the unknown is in that scene, we were able to understand that these monsters, well, first off, there are monsters out in the mist, and they are capable of killing a human, and they are capable of killing ten humans. We still don't understand why, we still don't know why they're here, but there is a threat. There is something to be worried about, and for some reason, they won't leave the mist. Eventually, the party goes out, or the main characters decide to leave and go out somewhere and start, you know, scavenging for supplies because they realize it won't last for very long and blah, blah, blah. But the reason that's such a good moment in the film is that we've gone over half the film without seeing anything. And then the thing that we get to see is their power without ever still seeing the creature. So now you have this wonder in your mind going what does this thing look like is it giant is it fast is it small is it vicious what about this makes it so competent a killer why and how does it just eat half of a man that's what i'm thinking why not have the other half maybe they pulled <laughs> it away before you could eat the rest of it well not entirely because the rope was being pulled out of their hands that is true so it's kind of maybe it's just kind of like fishing, you know, like the fish will <laughs> grab onto the hook and then it'll let it go. Yeah. It who knows? Yeah, it's it's been a little bit of time since I've seen it, but that scene always stuck out with me. It is a good scene. The next film I'm moving to is a classic. No, I'm not going to move to that one yet. I'm going to oh. do <laughs> I'm going to do what not to do. <laughs> So, there's a film by John Krasinski that came out called A Quiet Place. Perhaps you've heard of it. Oh, yeah. I've seen, like, the second half of that movie. Yeah, it made some waves in the media, and it was a relatively popular movie because of the way that it uses sound design. Now, this would have been a really good movie to talk about during our first or second episode when we were talking about sound. And indeed, this movie does sound amazing because there's a deaf character in it. And in the scene I'm talking about, 
you're hearing ambient noises and quiet and breathing. And then it switches to the deaf girl who's just kind of walking along, having a good time, not hearing anything, you know. And she sees John Krasinski turn around and look with fear behind her. And she's like, ah, not good. You kind of see it start to come across her face, this understanding of, oh no, someone made a sound. So the reason that I take an issue with this certain scene, it's about 10 to 15 minutes into the film, and it is when, actually it might not even be that, yeah, yeah, it's about that far, where the lead protagonist, John Krasinski and his wife, um, have gone to a supermarket, or really just a market in town, grabbed some toys and some supplies for their kids, and the rule is no sound toys. And of course, one of their kids gets a toy that has sound, and they're walking back home, and then the sound goes off, and John Krasinski turns around, starts sprinting, and then we get to see a glimpse of the monster, and then we see the monster in full daylight swipe the kid and kill him. And just gone. And the reason I take a little bit of issue with this is we just saw the monster. We saw what it's capable of doing. We've seen what attracts it. We don't really know why it's there yet, so I don't even think the second one explains. It was just basically meteorite landed aliens, but we don't really know why they chose Earth. But if they even chose Earth, like, are they sentient, any of these things? It's never really explained in the first film besides the meteorite landing and them being aliens. So the whole concept of this monster half of the fear of the unknown has been eradicated because now we know what it looks like what it does how it kills and what attracts it as with the mist which also has monsters in it we don't know what it looks like what it does what attracts it or them in this case actually in both cases but we do get to see a part of their power. And something about movies is the whole show don't tell. So, for instance, the rolling text at the beginning of Star Wars. It's great to establish story, but what person goes to a movie theater to read a film instead of watch a film? I think that part is inspired by like uh like old film serials from like the 30s and 40s like Flash Gordon because he used to like they used to play like a 15 or 7 however long minute like part of a story serial and uh before a movie and they'd always have like a text crawl saying like oh Flash Gordon you know was captured by the Emperor Ming (laughs) yeah you you're probably right on that I wouldn't be surprised if that's what it is however Star Wars has become bigger than Flash Gordon. <laughs> that is true. It, a lot of it is based off of like, like old film serials because that's they 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 added like the episode four. Like it's kind of like you're coming in the middle of like a film serial, and it's also based off of samurai films and westerns. It's kind of yeah. crazy how many different things Star Wars is based off of. So the difference here is the show not tell. Yeah. So, like, we talk about the rebellion and stuff, and I know it's supposed to take place in media res in the middle of everything, but being able to see that rebellion and that stuff, which, you know, eventually in the 2010s, we get to see 
Rogue One and some of those other things that help expand it, Star Wars Rebels, all that. But showing instead of telling makes the story much, much better. And in the sense of The Mist, they showed the powers of the monsters but didn't didn't tell what they were and didn't explain anything else besides these things are powerful. But in the beginning of A Quiet Place, it's immediately, here you go, this is everything. They're not really telling you what it is, but in a way, they are. They're telling you these are the monsters, what they're capable of, this is what they look like. It is true. There are some times where the like the telling instead of showing does kind of work. It's like in the the scene in Halloween where Dr. Loomis and like the I think Sheriff Brackett, they go to the Myers house cuz they think Michael Myers is there. At least they assume he is. He's not. But like Sheriff Brackett's like, "What is it with you and this guy? You know, who, who is he?" And he's like and he gives the speech where, you know, he meets this little boy with, like, these black eyes that he says are, like, the devil's eyes. And he spent all these years trying to reach him and then several other years trying to keep him locked up because he knew how evil he was and stuff like that. So it's like there are exceptions to the rule. But, yeah, for the most part, show, don't tell. Yeah, I mean, every rule has its exceptions. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if it's you movies have, or video games. You just games. have to be really good at doing stuff to be able to break the rule exactly and in this case i feel like a quiet place did not break the rule i might have to watch it the whole movie because i've seen just i've seen a lot of it but not the entire thing it's i thought it was okay yeah for what it was the sound design is just amazing on it it is kind of relatively normal horror film it's kind of like a sci-fi horror film yeah, but mostly it, horror. It doesn't really break any boundaries besides the sound. Other than that, the story is kind of eh. But something that is done well later on in the film is they live on a farm, and basically there's a monster out in the cornfields, and a sound has attracted it, and now a family has to survive. So that fear of the unknown there is even is done much better than within the first 15 minutes of the movie because now you know that there's a monster out there and it'd be better if we didn't know what it looked like or what it could do but there's something out there and the family's not safe and the family is split up so they have to get back to each other and make things safe for them that's not what happens in the first 15 minutes it's basically like look here's our monster child is dead for character progression look here's our monster look look what it does yeah that's a little too much i think it'd be cooler if they just like spent a lot of time not showing you what it is or what it looks like kind of like alien you know how they spend like an hour setting up the characters and then you finally see it but even then you don't really see it because it's in the dark all the time and in various tunnels and whatnot but you know yeah well the scene in the alien or the alien the scene in alien where uh, he walks into like the water place it's, it's dripping water everywhere oh, like i don't when know they're inside the is. spaceship yeah they're inside the spaceship and there's water dripping everywhere and this character walks into this place that has like hanging chains and stuff all over the ceiling yeah and is that like when they're in the big like sanctum, like the huge room? Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. I think like He's looking for the cat. 
Oh yeah, I think I do. I think that chat. sounds a little familiar. <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen that in a long time. Well, basically with that is, even with this fear of the unknown, this person's looking for a cat throughout the spaceship, goes into this giant room, and you as the audience member can see the alien if you're looking hard enough, but in general, you don't see the alien until it starts moving, and then when it starts moving, it's too late, because the character doesn't see it. What is that it. called? Uh, some sort of irony. Is it dramatic irony? Where you know something the character doesn't know? I can't remember. It's It's... It's some sort of irony. Oh, that's a question for my English major parents. Is that dramatic irony or something? Or that's, tweet that's, us at underscore retro radio underscore on Twitter. We'll answer right away, right on air. <laughs> I'll have to look into it. Yeah, so the fear of the unknown is a large portion of a film and a very important portion of it. The next thing we're going to do after talking about The Mist and A Quiet Place, we're going to talk about a classic that's not actually a horror film, but uses a horror element in it of this fear of the unknown to make it really stand out. And this movie is it's a favorite of mine. It's not one of my favorites of all time, but it's definitely a memorable movie of my childhood. It's the Tim Burton Batman from 1989. 1989 Batman. Featuring Prince on the soundtrack. Uh, yes, Prince on the soundtrack with the parade. That and also in the, the art museum when they play Party Man. Oh, yeah. I love Prince. I love that he's in that movie too. But in any case, this scene does not involve Prince, unfortunately. Wah, wah. In this scene, it's right after Jack Napier uh, is accosted by Batman in the chemical plant and falls into the vat. And uh, to me, it fall, immediately follows that scene. He goes to like a underground surgeon in some seedy part of town. It's very low lit. There's like I think like one, like just little bare light bulb just lighting the whole room. It's very dark, and you see the back of his head. You don't see him his face ever in this scene he's like wrapped up in bandages and he's slowly kind of like unwrapping them the doctor is and he's like oh let's see how it turned out and then like jack napier's just like he just starts tearing it all off at once and then um he's like he motions to give him a mirror he's like give me a it's like mirror mirror and then he hands him the mirror and then like he looks he looks into it you don't see in the mirror but he just starts laughing, and he's just like, at first, he's just like, you know, it's like, oh, the nerves were completely severed, you know, I did what I could, I mean, look at these tools I had to use, and it's just like this operating tape, just these really rinky-dink kind of tools, and, uh, and other various surgical implements, and he's laughing, and the laughing's getting more and more and more maniacal as it goes on, and he's and eventually he smashes the mirror on the corner of the table and then like he gets up and he breaks the light bulb and you never see his face but it's just like the music's just kind of off-putting it's just like this these discordant piano notes and stuff like that and it's just a very creepy scene and it's and you i mean we all know what the joker looks like in that movie but at this point you don't know you know, you're not sure what he looks like yet. Yeah, I it's mean, we had very... just spent half the movie with this character looking like Jack Nicholson, poor character. <laughs> but we go through all that, and then character falls into that acid vial and all that, 
and pretty much we have some Batman scenes and then we cut to the beginning of that scene is just random notes on bass or bass on brass instruments like it starts off with probably like a tuba and some baritones just kind of going like just random off-putting notes which add to the suspense and there's a very slow climb as it goes from right outside this building to the inside and scrolling through everything that's inside the building before we get to the scene there and the reason that this is so good of a fear of the unknown is because we were identified with this character and now we know it's changed this character is permanently altered he's gone through a transformation (laughs) 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 haha movie reference (laughs) haha yeah he's gone through that transformation and the reason that this is better than something like a quiet place is a quiet place those monsters aren't really improved upon nothing changes about them but this character has had that transformation like he's already a bad guy you know you find out soon enough that he he he, he killed batman's parents or bruce wayne's parents same people but <laughs> batman's uh, bruce wayne Oh my uh, god! I'm really sorry for everyone out there that didn't know that. But anyway, uh, you know, he's just—he's already kind of. I think he's involved with like some crooked cops in Gotham or something. And so the reason why he ends up being accosted by Batman and is thrown into this—well, he falls into the vat of acid, but pretty much um, he kind of got screwed over and just kind of ended up there. And then they're just like, hey, you know, go do this thing for me. And then they just pretty much set him up to be uh, just beat up by Batman pretty much, which is kind Oorah. of unfortunate, you know. Just imagine just your your buddy, your your business partner just kind of just like, yeah, you know, go do this thing for me. Oh, yeah, the, uh, I'm not going to tell you that Batman's there, though. No worries about that. It's Batman. He'll just leave you a little bit broken and mangled, but you'll still be able to walk tomorrow. Especially with uh, Michael Keaton, Batman, you know. He was <laughs> in Batman Returns. He's lighting people on fire with his Batmobile and stuff. But, you know, I love those Batman movies. It's okay. He shot people with rubber bullets. They're rubber bullets. <laughs> so Keep dreaming, pal. <laughs> so the point with the Joker right now is that after that character transformation with him unraveling his bandages and even pulling a mirror he gets to see what he looks like but we the audience are left in darkness left in the shadow much like batman is literally. with this character and yes quite literally left in the shadows where you can only see his silhouette as he runs away and runs up the stairs and you can imagine what his reaction is when he looks in the mirror and then he starts laughing yeah, at first Which, it's like he kind of just chuckles a little bit, and then he just starts like laughing even more, and to the point where he's just like cackling, and then like he's just kind of like ah, ha, ha, and then at the very end of the scene, he just goes straight on Jack Nicholson laugh, he's just going ah, ha, ha. <laughs> ah I, yes, Jack Nicholson laugh. I love Jack Nicholson. So, with that adding to the sphere of the unknown, he wasn't really mentally broken like that throughout the film up until this point 
So now we've seen this character change that, I mean, if you're a Batman fan, you were going to know anyways, but out of context is a little bit strange for someone to have this man groveling at your feet next to you like, I really tried, man. I, I tried to make you look okay again. And then you're just sitting there laughing about it like, ah, ha, ha, ha. Even though, you know, he looks pretty bad. But you don't know what he looks like. Oh, this is true. But also, like, uh, later on in the film, when you finally do see him, even when he comes up out of the elevator in the uh, the office of this person that he is targeting, I forget who he is, but uh, he's this big rich guy. He's got a big old penthouse and a big old office. And he comes up out of the elevator, and he's in silhouette and in shadow, and he's like, ah, you know... It's like, ah, oh, remember me, man, you know, whatever. And it's like, Jack? It's like, I thought you were dead. And he's like, oh, it's not Jack anymore. You can call me. And then he comes out of the shadow and you finally see his face, the the Joker and all of his Joker, Jokery glory. <laughs> he says, you can call me Joker. But like, I think it's like a good minute from the time he comes out of the elevator and steps out into the light. You don't see his face, so it's still kind of, like it's it's very good about them, the movie uh, not really showing you what he looks like until the big reveal. It does it very well. It's very very. It's a, such a good movie. I love <laughs> it. I have to rewatch it. Nineteen eighty nine Batman's always one of my favorites. It is one of my favorite superhero movies ever. So we've come to the end of our three movies we wanted to discuss. Is there anything you'd like to add to this fear of the unknown topic? Uh, oh, I can't think of anything. I've, I've about said all I needed to say. Do you got anything? Admittedly, no. I kind of had those films. I thought they'd take a little bit longer to talk about than, <laughs> than we did. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. What are you going to do? That's what I'm thinking. Well, I think it's safe to go ahead and end us just a little bit early tonight. It's 7.12. Everyone's kind of, I'm feeling a little bit tired and feeling, eh. It's been a day. It has been a singular day of the week. It has been a Thursday in the month of July. It's been a good day. It's been a good day. It's been a nice, fun day. I did a lot of, I'm a camp counselor, so I, <laughs> I do a lot of games. And we. Uh, there was a daycare that had come to our park and we, the counselors, me and the other person who worked with me, just walked over to this, the leaders of this daycare and said, hey, do your kids want to play our kids in dodgeball? And they're like, uh, sure. <laughs> and we had a nice little dodgeball game. It was, it was very random. It was very spontaneous, but it was, it felt pretty good. We played a lot of different games today and. It was just, it was a nice sunny day, sat in the shade a little bit. There's a bit of wind there, but it just felt good. It was a good day. Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really do too much, but I was just in a really good mood, you know, just kind of went to the gym a little bit and uh, went in, went for a swim and then listened to some music. Ooh. All right. Well, you've been listening to Retrospection Radio Theater. It is... It's about 7.14 now. Uh, yeah, we've been on for 43 minutes. So I'm going to go ahead and end us here. Retrospection Radio Theater. You've been listening to me, Noah, and... And Nate. I'm sorry.
sorry, I got distracted. <laughs> <laughs> what is this shiny thing in this dark room? What? <laughs> yeah, it's me, me and Noah, Nate and Noah. We'll catch you on the flip side, you know. Next up, we've got Real Long Time by White Reaper and She Treats Me Well by Ben Howard. Before that, we got some of the top of the hour stuff. You're listening to Retrospection Radio, 97.5 WOBN, The Wild Card, right here in Otterbein. Catch you on the flip side. <laughs> 